Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you can get podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome into Stacking the Box. I am Matt Verderam alongside Josh Hill, and it's incredible to say, but we are at the midway point of the NFL season. This will be the last show, of course, we're doing in October, so the calendar soon to turn to November. The weather getting a little colder, the playoff picture getting a little clearer in some spots, a little murkier in others. Josh, what did you take away from what was a pretty wild week eight? Of course, one game still to go. Broncos at Chiefs on Monday night. We record before that. But what did you see from the Thursday night and the, and the Sunday games? Well, I mean, the Thursday night game, the obvious takeaway was the, the assault of Joe Flacco. But, I, I mean, that's not the thing I want to talk about, but I did want to touch on that real quickly. Like, how do you not throw Kiko Alonso out of that game? It's pretty incredible. Like, Especially with all this talk about safety and everything else. It's astonishing it wasn't I mean, just, you know, the thing that got me about the Joe Flacco hit is he goes down and then he does, like, the drunk uncle thing where he's just, like, trying to, like, I don't know what he was, if he was, like, reaching for his helmet, but it was, like, I don't want to say funny because, I mean, the man had a serious brain injury, but that's the type of thing that you're, like, look, you're an official, you're a coach, you're a league executive watching this. How are you not on the phone? Like, if you're in New York watching this game as a league executive, how are you not on the phone being like, we got to fix this? We got to do something about this right now. Because it's not like, you know, Matt Moore in the playoff game last year where he got taken out, which was a bad hit, a clean hit, though. Um, this is Joe Flacco. This is one of the faces of the league. And he just went down with a horrible injury. So I don't know what that means for Baltimore. I don't know what that means for these hits. But I don't know what, what your thoughts were on the Joe Flacco hit. I, I thought it was a cheap shot. Listen, I, I didn't... I, I don't like it when a quarterback, you know, slides late because I think at some point the defender's got to make a decision to hit him. And I thought Flacco waited for the last possible second because he was trying to pick up first down on that play. It was third down. That being said, if you're Alonzo, my biggest problem was he pretty obviously took his forearm and tried to drive it to Flacco's ear hole uh, and, you know, ripped his helmet off in the process. And Flacco clearly had a concussion and, and, you know, hopefully he can come back sooner rather than later. But look, those are the kind of hits you can't make plays for in the league. Those are the kind of hits. If you're the NFL, that's where that's where a guy should be suspended for four games. Not some guy smoking marijuana or some other garbage like that. You need to be able to come down and crack down on these hits. Uh, you know, Alonzo, that just can't happen. That kind of hit. Now look, the Ravens, and, and I want to preface this by saying that it doesn't matter who he hits like that. It should be a, a suspension, a fine, regardless, et cetera, et cetera. If he hit Tom Brady like that, mm. like let's let's say that you know it's week it's week seventeen or actually better yet let's look up let, let, let me be really accurate let me see how Miami plays New England okay so I'll give you an idea okay they play him the second time they play is week fourteen December eleventh so let's say that 
Kiko Alonso hits Tom Brady like that and knocks him out of all their December games or playoff games. Can you imagine the uproar that would be coming out? The only reason people aren't freaking out even more about it is because the Ravens aren't that good of a team. Flacco's had a horrible year. If that was against a big-time quarterback, it would be talked about nonstop. But that being said, I do think he should be suspended for it. Uh, you know, Joe Flacco, Tom Brady, you know, Sean Cobb, it doesn't matter. You, you cannot hit somebody like that. No, and uh, like it, it's a horrible hit, and we're going to see what happens with it. I mean, I haven't heard anything about Alonzo as far as discipline is concerned. I Probably think, come out in the next couple of days. Yeah, waiting for the end of the week. But it's moving into the Sunday games, it's the biggest thing that I took away, and try not to be a, a homer on this, but I, I can't help it. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I wrote about them last week for Fan Sided after they lost to the Bills, and I said that they might be quite possibly the biggest disappointment of the 2017 season. Just because going into the year, you had all of these pundits, and you had hard knocks, everything. You know, the Bucs are going to take this, the next step this year. It's the leap. They're going to make the playoffs. Jameis Winston's going to finally develop into this franchise quarterback. You're going to have, you have all of the pieces on offense. They draft O.J. Howard. He somehow falls to them. It's like literally all of the stars are aligning for Tampa Bay. And they have two wins against very bad teams to show for it. Okay? I don't know what's going on in Tampa Bay, but... To me, there is nothing, you, you can say what you want about Oakland being a disappointment and all these other teams that, you know, maybe should have been better than they were. No. Snack for good with Ohio made, all natural, super tender Charkey Jerky Company beef jerky, now featuring Killian's Vintage with limited edition packaging designed by 12 year old Killian, avid golfer and patient champion, Nationwide Children's Hospital. Now available at select Giant Eagle locations at the Memorial Tournament presented by Workday May 30th through June 4th and online at www.charkyjerky.com. Proceeds of Killian's Vintage benefit Nationwide Children's Hospital and kids like Killian. Team has underperformed as severely as the Buccaneers have and inexplicably so because you have an offense that should be generating you know, so many points each week. And I'm not saying that they need to throw up, you know, it's not going to be the 1998 Vikings or anything. It's not the greatest show on turf in the Rams. But you've got Mike Evans, who is arguably the best receiver in football. You have O.J. Howard, who is going to be, or at least seen to be, as this Gronkowski-esque tight end target. You've got Doug Martin in the backfield. You've got Deshaun Jackson running deep routes. I don't understand why this isn't working. And if it's, is it Dirk Cutter? Is he not able to do this? Is it Jameis Winston and the mistakes that he makes, which I think is a big problem? To me, this boils down to, in more than one way, this is Jameis Winston's fault. What I saw from him on Sunday was a quarterback we did not expect to see this, at this point in his development. He's making terrible throws. He's forcing the ball into spots it's not supposed to be in. As a result, they're playing from behind for most of this entire season, most of the games that they've played and they've been playing from behind, which then forces Jameis Winston to throw passes he should not be throwing. Most, if we're lucky, it doesn't go to the wrong team, but we saw a couple of really bad turnovers against Carolina. And another reason that this is Jameis Winston's fault is the Buccaneers gave the keys to the franchise to, what, a 20-year-old kid, and they said, who do you want to be the head coach? He had, it was his second year in the NFL. He has no knowledge of any kind of coaching schemes, any kind of coaching, anything in football. And they go, oh, who do you want to be your head coach? He's like, uh, Dirk Cutter, I guess. He's my offensive coordinator. We get along real well. It's like asking your buddy, you know, you go up to the kids in high school. You're like, who do you want your substitute teacher to be? And you ask them to pick from the class. 
of course you're going to pick the class clown. I'm not saying that Cutter's the class clown, but you're going to pick the guy that you're like, oh, yeah, I like that guy. He's good. We get along well. Derek Cutter, he's not a good head coach. He's, you could argue that he's a good coordinator. You could argue that he worked well with Jameis in the first couple of years. But once you become the head coach, everything changes. He's responsible for the different coaching departments. He's in charge of game planning. He's in charge of keeping the team together, the locker room, front office moves he's more involved in. I don't know if Dirt Cutter, moving on from Dirk Cutter is the answer for Tampa Bay. I don't want to push the panic button too early. But something's got to give. This team is 2-5. and five. And as much as I love them and as much as I want to root for them and as much as I believe in them, I don't see anything changing anytime soon. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what your thoughts are on this. I know we talked about it when we were watching the Panthers game on Sunday that Jameis Winston is a big problem, and it wasn't the first time that we've brought it up either off or on the podcast, and it's not a conversation that's going anywhere. Well, you know the Buccaneers as well as anybody, so I won't pretend that I can add a ton to it as much as I'll just kind of give my two cents on it. Look. Jameis Winston is the face of that franchise. He was a number one overall pick a couple years back. He was expected to come in here and really change their fortunes, get him back in the playoffs for the first time, and now it is a decade. Uh, you look at his numbers right now. I mean, he's been protected pretty well. He's only been sacked 11 times this year. Okay, and he's somebody who holds on to the ball, so that, that's even a better number when you factor that mm-hmm. in. He plays a lot like Ben Roethlisberger does. The problem is, okay, he's got six, he's got six interceptions, and he's fumbled the ball eight times. And when you watch him, you know, take the stats for a second and put him on the, on the back burner. There are times when it's very obvious he needs to just hold on to the ball and go down. Or, or he's got to throw the ball away. And he doesn't do that. He tries to force a play. He tries to make something happen. And look, you can, it's commendable that he, he's trying to make something happen. But at some point, you have to just learn. Look, there was a play against Carolina. There, I believe Tampa was down 10-3 at the time. Mm-hmm. And he's getting sacked. And they're, they're in borderline field goal range. And he tries to throw like a shovel pass as he's getting creamed by two guys. And he's halfway to the ground. And the ball came out before his arm went forward. He fumbled it. And those are the kinds of plays. You just can't do that. There's, you cannot do that. It costs your team games. Now, he's not the only problem. Okay, Part of the problem is he can't run the football. The, the Buccaneers are rushing for 3.7 yards an attempt. They've rushed for three touchdowns all year. That's ridiculous. You have to be better than that. Defensively, they're worse in the league with seven sacks. Nobody has more than two. You've got to do more than that. There has to be more than that. Noah Spence is now on IR, but before he went on IR, he had nine tackles and one sack. I mean, guys do that in games, not, not, a, not a season. So, you know, the Buccaneers are talented. I kind of agree with you, Josh, to an extent. Look, Cutter's got to get more out of this team. I mean, there's, there's, there's no way a team with this talent level should be 2-5. and five. And I have questions, too. Why does O.J. Howard have 20 targets all year long? He's been a first-round pick on. Throw him mm-hmm. the ball. Now, look, Cameron Brait is a very underrated and a very good tight end. Yeah. 31 catches, 405 yards, four touchdowns, okay? He's, but still, O.J. Howard, there's room to get him the ball. Deshaun Jackson, he's been okay, but you gave him big money this offseason. He's got to be better than this. And so I really blame it on an, an entire collection of issues, but Winston does get the brunt of it, just like he would get the credit if they were playing well. He's got to be better than that. The Buccaneers aren't talented enough, even as much as I've, I've said that I think the roster is very good, but they are not good enough as a team to deal with Winston turning the ball over twice a game. Nobody is. There's not a team in the league that can get two turnovers a game out of their quarterback and overcome that. So uh, I hate to say it, at 2-5, and five, I think the Buccaneers probably are looking at it at a long season here. I, I don't think they're going to be able to climb out of what is a very good NFC South. I don't think they're coming out of that basement. 
And it's too bad because I think the Buccaneers are very talented, but they just can't yeah. put it together. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, we kind of flirted with it last week, but <clears throat> I think this week and moving on throughout the rest of the season, it's, you can officially say that Dirk Cutter is on the hot seat. And, you know, it's not a situation where it's like Cleveland where, you know, you lose a bunch of games and then you panic. This is, I think the entire front office needs to be held responsible by ownership for what's going on here because, I mean, you can nitpick certain things, but it's kind of just a mentality here where you see, you, can, you check off certain things that you've seen happen throughout the years going all the way back to trading up to draft a kicker in the second round, a kicker whom you cut, and it didn't pan out, and it created more problems than it solved. And then you think about, you know, Cutter, and we, we talked about this uh, when we were watching the Panthers game where you said, you know, I don't know if Cutter's really the problem because it's the play calling, and I agree with you. I, the play calling, the, it's not like he's throwing games away. It's not like he's going in and he's doing Bill O'Brien-esque things and throwing the game away from a team that otherwise might have, win, might have won. This is a guy who, look, his, his success or failure is going to be tied to how Jameis Winston develops. And Jameis Winston is not playing like a quarterback that we thought he was going to be right now. And that falls on one guy, and that falls on Dirk Cutter. Yeah, Winston can play better. Another play that he had against the Panthers, he uh, stunted their comeback momentum by throwing an interception, which was tipped at the uh, line of scrimmage after he was scrambling around and he threw when he was getting sacked. And it was almost identical to that infamous you know, backwards fumble play against Oregon and uh, it was like the Rose Bowl. Uh, that was four years ago. And here we are four years later, and he made almost the identical play. So this all falls on Cutter to me. And, you know, that, that's my two cents for, you know, maybe this is my therapy session for the week, getting the bucks out of my system. But I'll, I'll, I'll turn the floor over to you for your big takeaway from week eight in the NFL. My big takeaway is that if, if the Houston Texans had a, a competent head coach, they'd be both five and two, and they'd be a real threat in the AFC. Um, look. The Texans, if you missed the game against Seattle, you should really try anything you can to go back and watch it. It was one of the most entertaining regular season games of my life. Uh, they had a chance to win the game. Houston did late on the road. Nobody really, I think, believed they were going to go into Seattle and win. And yet all of a sudden you're watching this game and Houston's up 38-34 to late. They get a, they get a big interception uh, of Russell Wilson in the red zone. They get the ball back. And all the Texans have to do is get one first down at the end, and the game's over. And you're watching the game, and the Texans run the ball twice. Okay, fine. They make, they make Seattle take their timeouts. So to set the scene up here, okay, Seattle has one timeout left. There's, I believe, a minute and 52 seconds remaining, and it's a third and four, okay? And, and if you're wondering... Okay, third and four from, from Houston's own 26-yard line. There is 1.53 to go. At this point in the game, Deshaun Watson is 19 of 29 for 402 yards, four touchdowns, and two picks. Lamar Miller, at this point, had rushed 20 times for 52 yards. <laughs> if you are Seattle, if you are defensive coordinator Chris Richard, you are begging Houston to run the football here. It's third and four. They've run the ball for nothing all game. They have a bad offensive line. You have a big time, in my opinion, the best front seven in football. If you're Richard, you are begging Bill O'Brien to run the ball. Because if Deshaun Watson throws it, or even drops back with it, he can run, he can take off. He had 67 rushing yards in the game. He let everybody in the game. 
they run the ball. They gained two yards. It wasn't even like they tried to run it outside or some misdirection or an option play. It was just a straight handoff right up the gut. Miller gets stoned, as everybody knew he would. They end up punting the ball. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Seattle then takes the ball back and says, thank you very much. We will go 48 yards. We will go 19 yards. We will go 18 yards. Three plays, 80 yards, touchdown. Seattle wins with 21 seconds to go. And now Houston, who look, Houston's been very entertaining. They've looked good since Watson's come in. They now sit at three and four. They're in third place in the AFC South. And you've got to wonder, they've got a tough schedule ahead of them. Where is this season going? Because if you look at their schedule, you know, they have the Colts next week. They should win that game. But they have the, they're at the Rams. They're at the Ravens. They're at Tennessee. They're at Jacksonville. They have a game on Christmas Day against Pittsburgh at home. That, that's not easy. Like they, They're to a point now where to win this division, they're probably going to have to go 7-2 and two the rest of the way. That's tough. Like that, That's maybe, maybe they can get away with getting to 9-7. and seven. But you know, Tennessee has a very easy schedule the rest of the way. Jacksonville has an elite defense, only gets better with adding Marcel Darius. Okay, to lose that game is a travesty. But let's go back for a minute. Week 3. The Texans are up in Foxborough. They're playing New England. Nobody thinks they can win. They were a 13-point underdog on the day. And late in the game, Houston's up a couple of points. And if Houston, I believe they're up two. And it was fourth and about a foot inside the New England 25-yard line. Miller had run all over New England in the game. And O'Brien kicks a field goal. And they give the ball back to Tom Brady. And, of course, predictably, with two and a half minutes left, he goes right down the field and they win the game in a touchdown. If Houston had a competent head coach, they would be 5-2 and two right now. But they're not 5-2, and two, and they don't have two of the biggest wins of the year over New England and Seattle on the road because Bill O'Brien can't figure out how to manage games late. It's been a disaster. They, they cannot get the job done. And right now, if I'm a Texans fan, look, you want to win, you want to get to the playoffs, you want to have that. But if they don't, if they go 8-8 eight and, eight and they don't get to the playoffs, you should be praying they fire Bill O'Brien. And they bring in somebody who's competent so that you can enjoy the next dozen years with Deshaun Watson. Because if they keep that guy around as a head coach, they're not beating Bill Belichick. They're not beating Andy Reid. They're not beating Mike Tomlin, who, by the way, all also have talented quarterbacks, who also have talented rosters. Houston right now, with the losses of Watt and Merciless, they're not good enough to deal with bad coaching decisions. And look... They've been great offensively, but look at when they've played New England, Kansas City, and Seattle. Those are the three teams they've played on their roster that are worth anything, okay? If you want to run Jacksonville, fine. They gave up 29 to Jacksonville, but I give that game a little bit of a pass because they were, they were starting Tom Savage, and they were awful offensively that whole game. They gave up 10 sacks. They gave up 36 to New England. They gave up 42 at home to Kansas City. They gave up 41 to Seattle. Their defense stinks, okay? Bill O'Brien is not going to get this team going anywhere if he doesn't coach his butt off. And frankly, there's no reason to think he can do it. The New England game was a disaster. The Seattle game was a disaster. Oh, and by the way, he had four months to evaluate whether Tom Savage or Deshaun Watson should be the quarterback, and he chose Tom Savage. Okay? That tells me all I need to know about Bill O'Brien. And I think at some point, you got to just say, look, he's not getting the job done. We got to go in a different direction. It's it's a weird thing to say because there's so much enthusiasm around Houston, and rightfully so, but O'Brien's holding that team back. 
Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> picking Tom Savage over Deshaun Watson when you've had four months to evaluate it, whether or not he was a rookie coming in or not, that's a fireable offense to me. And, you know, tying it back in with the Buccaneers thing, if the Bucs were to get rid of Cutter, I feel like that would be one of the most desirable jobs for a head coach in football because you've got the defense and you've got the offense there. And I think similar things about Houston. If they were to get rid of Bill O'Brien and you go out to some of these big name head coaches, not some guy where you come, not like a Sean McVay, although that's worked out really well, you don't have to go low and kind of find the next big guy. You can find a big guy to come in and be that coach. You'd be like, look, we got Deshaun Watson. We've got J.J. Watt. We've got a great defense. We've got Will Fuller and uh, DeAndre Hopkins who catch nothing but touchdowns. We can get a running game in here. We can get a nice offensive line built. The pieces are here for Houston to be a really good team. But like you said, Bill O'Brien is the thing that is holding them back. And that predates the, the New England call. That predates anything that happened in Seattle. That goes all the way back to he picked Tom Savage over Deshaun Watson for whatever reason. Quarterback whisperer, what, like when did when did he get this title? What did he do to he be like Christian Hackenberg at Penn State? <laughs> yeah, I mean he was in the same room as Tom Brady. Like oh wow, yeah, like I know how that works. But because I mean rightfully so. I mean it gave Matt Castle and Brian Hoyer careers in the NFL, and it apparently gave Bill O'Brien, who is woefully unqualified to lead an NFL team, a head coaching job. So I, I agree with you. I think that Houston, they're a really good, exciting team. But Bill O'Brien always seems to be the thing that we're like, yeah, they're good, but Bill O'Brien. So just get rid of him and, you know, go and throw it. Because Houston, have some confidence in yourself. That's an attractive spot for a head coach to come in. I'm not saying you're going to hear people throw out like, oh, Bill Cowher and John Gruden and stuff like that. No, you can find a good head coach who can come in, do something with this team, and all of a sudden you're cooking with gas in an AFC South that, on a good year, has really bad teams in it. Look, you know, and I'll just finish it off with this. If you fire him, you get any coach you want, okay? Mm -hmm. Warm weather, you have a big-time young quarterback. You have all these talented players around him, like Watt and Hopkins and Merciless and Clowney. I mean, that is that job, you get anybody you yep. want in that job. You're going to stick with Bill O'Brien. You've seen <laughs> Bill O'Brien. I, I just, at some point, look, you have to just be realistic and say, if, if you have a real head coach, they're five and two. Like they're five and two right now. If he's even competent, mm -hmm. and they're winning that division probably. And, and quite honestly, I don't think they're going to even make the playoffs because they have a tough schedule. They already have four losses, so uh, we'll leave it at that. And the last thing I want to bring up. Real quickly, it's just a disparity between the two conferences. Look, right now, if you look at the standings, and I'm a sucker for the NFL playoff picture, I'll probably talk about it every week the rest of the year, so hopefully you enjoy that. Uh, the NFC is stacked. There are going to be some really good teams staying home from the playoffs. You look at the NFC the way it's set up right now. Minnesota looks like it's going to win that division. Philly should mm -hmm. win its division. I think Seattle eventually wins its division. The Rams, though, are a legitimate playoff team. I think the Rams are going to win one of those wildcard spots, already having a, uh, a tiebreaker over Dallas. And, and speaking of Dallas, you know, that leaves one wildcard spot left because somebody obviously will win the South. You've got Dallas, and then between New Orleans, Atlanta, Carolina, two of those teams are going to be fighting for one wildcard mm -hmm. spot alongside the Cowboys. I think the Redskins, the Redskins are one of the best teams in football, and they're not even going to sniff the playoffs. They're three and four. They've already lost twice to Philly, once to Dallas at home. They're going to lose this week in all likelihood to Seattle. We'll get that game later. Uh, there's some, I mean, if you put Washington in the AFC, they're the fourth best team in the conference. Mm -hmm. If you put any of those teams in the AFC South in the AFC, they're at least in the conversation for the fourth best team in the AFC. Um, Dallas certainly is. And some of those teams are not going to make the playoffs, which is just incredible to me. Um, 
but it's the way it is. Meanwhile, in the AFC, you have Kansas City, Pittsburgh, New England, any way you want to order them. I think at this point, Pittsburgh right now, you got to say is the best team in that conference. Although, not exactly the most inspiring performance against Detroit. I know they won the game, <laughs> but my God, Detroit basically was a sponsor for that game. Um, but, you know, those three teams, in any order you want to put them, I think they're clearly the three best teams. Then there's a gulf of Mexico between them and the rest of that conference. And then you get the teams like Tennessee, Houston, Jacksonville, uh, and, I, and, and, and Buffalo. And Buffalo, give them credit. And I think actually um, we'll get to them first. Obviously, there's a night game this week. But it's incredible. There are going to be some teams that make the AFC playoffs are brutal. Mm-hmm. Like teams that legitimately, if they're in the NFC, I think would win six games. So uh, that, it is what it is. It's just interesting to see how strong the NFC is. Although I think the best teams outside of Philly might all be in the AFC. <laughs> uh, I think Philly's really good. But if you ask me to give you the top four teams in the league, I'd give you the top three in the AFC and Philly. So take that for what it's worth. But it's just an interesting uh, dichotomy between those two conferences. Yeah, just to, just to tie a bow around what you're saying to make your point, uh, the, the two wild card teams in the AFC right now are from the AFC South. The AFC South, you know, could have, or the one, one of the wild card teams is in the uh, AFC South, and then the, the Titans would be in as the division winner. So you've got two playoff teams from the AFC South, a division we can all agree on is less than spectacular. So, but it, it benefits you because hey, you get the your Chiefs get Blake Bortles in the first round at Arrowhead. So, if the playoffs were to end today, that's that's the matchup. So, works out for you. Yeah, uh, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't complain. Um, so, all right, let's get to the games. There's 13 of them this week. 16 are on buy, including the Browns. We don't have to trash them like I see when we do every week. They've been on a buy for the first eight weeks. Let's be. They've right. been on a buy for 25 weeks. <laughs> um, so. Let's get right down to business. Thursday night game, we always go in order. Um, the Bills visiting the Jets. Before the year, we made fun of this game as possibly being the game to decide which team goes 1-15 and which team goes on 16. Well, as it turns out, and this is why you should never believe the hype in the preseason, Buffalo is 5-2 and two and looking like a real football team. They're favored by a field goal. They're on the road against the Jets, who are 3-5, coming off of a tough loss in the monsoon against Atlanta. Uh... I find this game to be interesting. I don't know if I'd say I find it to be entertaining. Uh, Buffalo, look, I don't want to, I don't want to crash on on Buffalo's party here, but I, I do have to say a few things that strike me as something that could be a problem going forward. They've played seven games. Tyrod Taylor has thirteen hundred and forty three passing yards. Okay, so he's basically on pace for three thousand, a little lower. Lashawn McCoy's been. Okay, everybody talks about Grady's man. Well, Sean McCoy is averaging 3.8 yards carry. Okay, they've given him the ball a ton, and he's going to go over 1,000 yards if he stays healthy. But he's, he's per carry, he's not been incredible. Okay, receiving yardage, Charles Clay leads them with 258. He's missed time. Okay, so that has to be factored in. Their leading wide receiver is Jordan Matthews with 193 yards. All right, so the offense struggles. Now, defensively, they only have 13 sacks on the year. The reach is, you're probably asking yourself, then how the hell are the Bills 5 and 2? Well, the Bills are 5 and 2 because they have 11 interceptions. They force 15 fumbles and have six recoveries. Okay, they've scored, they've scored touchdowns twice defensively. So, does that mean that the Bills don't deserve to be who they are? No, absolutely not. They've won their games and, and give them a lot of credit for that. Okay, the problem in my eyes is that's unsustainable to some degree. You, you can't. You're not going to continuously beat teams throwing for 170 yards and rushing for, you know, 90 yards and just getting four turnovers as they did on, on Sunday against Oakland in a 34-14 win. 
The other problem I see for the Bills is their schedule after this game gets tough. They, they host the Saints. They're at the Chargers. They're at the Chiefs. They're home to New England. Then they do get Indy and Miami at home. And then they finish with at New England, at Miami. Um, that being said, I'm really excited about the Bills' future. I think Sean McDermott's a hell of a coach. And they might make the playoffs. Even with all that said, they might get in. The AFC's terrible. Uh, nine wins will get them in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to win this week. Um, I think they're going to beat the Jets. The, the Jets have played very hard. I have all the respect in the world for him. I honestly think Todd Bowles deserves an extension at this point. I really do. He's been... You can't ask any more of what they've gotten out of Todd Bowles and that team this year. But I think the Bills win. I do think the Bills are able to, to handle a, a Jets team that, frankly, just is outmatched talent-wise. Uh, the Bills aren't ultra-talented, and I wouldn't be shocked if the Jets win this game. But I think the Bills just know they're playing for something. And if the Bills lose this game, color me concerned. Because, like I said, that schedule coming up, their next four games, the Saints, the Chargers, the Chiefs, the Pats, that's rough. That could be a major problem. So I'll take them to beat the Jets uh, in what I think is going to be a close game. Yeah, I'm going to take the Bills to win this one, too. And we're going to find out what Buffalo's made of over this last couple of weeks. We're going to f- really find out what they are. Uh, you know, if they beat New York, which they should, because this isn't a thing. The Jets, I agree with you, they deserve much more credit than anybody was willing to give them. And Todd Bowles, they should build a statue for him with the way that he's coached this team so far this year. But Buffalo's the better team, and they should win on Thursday. And then, like you said, it gets tougher for the Bills with, with the Saints, a playoff team. You've got the Chargers, who are a trap game, and then you've got the Chiefs and the Patriots. We're, we're going to find out what, what, what kind of team Buffalo is here in these next couple of weeks. I, I still like them. I wrote about them for the site on Sunday and how maybe somehow, by the will of the football gods, this 18-year playoff drought is going to come to an end. And, hey— if that's all that happens, like I, it's becoming one of the more tired cliches in sports to say that a team is ahead of schedule. But honestly, that, there's really no other way to, to describe the Bills this year. They were playing with house money. They were, we all, both the two of us said it at the beginning of the season. They're planning for the future. And we admitted the future looks bright. We're like, hey, if they can get this going, they're going to be good in a couple of years. They're good right now, and they're only going to get better. So ending that playoff drought this year, I think, should be the goal at this point. It's very realistic. Missing the playoffs could be deemed a failure just because the team is that good right now. But then it's building for the future from there. Um, I think they went on Thursday night. I think that Tyrod Taylor is maybe a hybrid game-managing quarterback where he can be a mobile type of guy who doesn't need to throw for a whole lot of yards. He just needs to stay out of his own way. So maybe he's the next evolution of Alex Smith or some of these game-manager quarterbacks. But I'm really excited about Buffalo, and I think Bill's Mafia... They were the only ones that probably saw this one coming just because they're always drinking the Kool-Aid. But for once, hey, the Kool-Aid was on their side. We won't talk about where they're drinking the Kool-Aid from. <laughs> uh, if you've ever seen some Bill's Mafia's videos, it, it's, uh, depending on your viewpoint, it's either hilarious or appalling. But we'll move on. Look, the Bill's give them credit, 5-2, and two, and having a chance to be on, a, on pace for 12-4 and four a year after Thursday night. Nobody saw that coming. Uh, so Sunday games start out at the one o'clock slate. There's no London early game. Thank God, finally. I'm so sick of waking up at 8.30 Central Time and seeing the Browns on my television. Um, so Falcons at the Panthers. Panthers favored by a deuce in this game. Uh, I'm going to be blunt with this. I think the Falcons have all kinds of problems. And you look at them statistically and say, well, Brian's completed 66% of his throws. Uh, you know, they're running for 4.8 yards in attempt. Julio Jones has 540 receiving yards. None of it adds up the way they look. 
They barely beat the Jets. They got pounded by New England. Buffalo and Miami both beat them at home. And by the way, anybody who watched those tonight saw Miami. Okay, that I mean, that tells you all you got to know about Atlanta. That they blew a 17 nothing lead that team at home off a of bye week. All right? I'm not a big Carolina guy because I'm not a big Cam Newton guy. I never have been. Even during his MVP year, uh, I just I, I don't believe in him. You look at his numbers, he's certainly nothing special this year. 10 touchdowns, 11 picks. He's been sacked 22 times. Okay? They can't run the ball. Everybody thinks Carolina's a running team. 3.4 yards in attempt. But I'm going to take them because they're at home, and I think Atlanta just looks awful. It's a third game in a row for Atlanta to be away from home. Now, granted, this is a hop, skip, and a jump up the, up the coastline, but uh, I'm going to take Carolina to win this game. I just simply do not buy anything that Atlanta is selling. They, they just they should win. They're more talented, but they look lost offensively and even defensively. Frankly, they're not nearly as uh, as dynamic as I thought they would be. Yeah, we said it yesterday when we were watching the games that you know, Steve Sarkeesian is a problem for Atlanta. I don't know if he needs to go at the end of the year and they just need to go back to the drawing board and get somebody who can go back to what Kyle Shanahan was doing. Like this is, If anything, this, the Falcons' season this year without Kyle Shanahan is even bigger of an endorsement of his coaching talent than we thought going into his you know taking over the 49ers' job because that offense looks lost. I don't know what is going on. You've got the reigning MVP at quarterback. You've got one of the best wide receivers in Julio Jones. You've got two great running backs in the backfield. And it's just it's uninspired play calling. It's it looked like they've never practiced with wet balls before. Like Matt Ryan fumbled a snap of three different times. You, that, that can't happen. That Matt Ryan is the MVP. He should know how to not lose the grip of a ball whether it's wet, whether it's dry, whether it's cement. You don't do that. And but what you said during the game was interesting as as well to me that you know as bad as the offense is you know Steve Sarkeesian isn't coaching the defense that's Dan Quinn Dan Quinn Atlanta's defense was great last year I was really excited for them to get Vic Beasley back I thought that maybe that was a missing piece and then all of a sudden it, it changes nothing Vic Beasley was back for the Patriots game they get waxed yeah you can blame the fog whatever Patriots played in the fog in the fog too yeah you can blame the rain with the Jets Jets played in the rain too. And they almost beat the, the, the Falcons. I don't understand what's going on with Atlanta. Maybe the Super Bowl hangover took a little while to set in. But again, I want to go back to a couple of years ago when they started out 5-0 and and they fell off the face of the earth. This is kind of a pattern for, for the Falcons. Now, that was a Mike Smith team, I believe. But, you know, a lot of those players were still there. I think that Atlanta's got a problem here. And it, go, and it goes all the way back to the Super Bowl. Like, they were winning 28-3, to and then they fell off the face of the earth. They were 5-0 and a couple of years ago, missed the playoffs, had to fire their head coach. I'm not saying that that's going to happen with Dan Quinn, but I'm just saying there's a pattern here that they need to break out of. And this isn't like all of a sudden, oh, it's the Super Bowl hangover. Oh, they're just coming back. They can't all have good years. This is a problem. And so I'm taking Carolina on Sunday. I think that they smell blood in the water in the NFC South. They can they put away the Bucks on Sunday. They can put away the Falcons, and then it's a two horse race to see who can win that NFC South with the Saints and the the Panthers. I think that Ron Rivera, when you doubt him, and Cam Newton, that's when you see the best of them. So I'm taking Carolina to win. Yeah, uh, we're on the, we're on the same page. I think Carolina finds a way to get it done. I just don't I don't believe in Atlanta right now. I think the talent's there, but there's no reason to think it's coming around. Uh, going to the AFC, Baltimore-Tennessee. This is the only game right now without a line. We don't know if Joe Flacco is going to play. We don't have any update on that. Uh, look, Tennessee's coming off its bye week, 4-3. and three. They've not looked great. They've not looked good, frankly. Baltimore is 4-4, four and four, 
and Baltimore has not looked great or good. So it's kind of a picture of poison type of game. Uh, without knowing who's going to be the quarterback, I, it doesn't change my pick. I am going to take Tennessee in this game. They're at home. I think they're better. The Ravens, give them credit. They won 40 to nothing last week. Okay, They beat, they beat a big time on Miami, but Miami's terrible. And it's the first time in my life I watched the game and saw a team win 40 to nothing and felt like neither team was any good. Uh, so I, I love what Alex Collins is doing. He's looked terrific. Uh, he's, how they got him away from Seattle. Seattle let Alex Collins walk, and he's averaging six yards a carry right now. So he's been awesome. But Jeremy Macklin's been a bust of a, of a signing. Vashad uh, Perriman, four catches and 26 yards. Not what you're looking for in, your, in the third year of your first-round pick. So he's been, a, he's been a huge disappointment. I think Tennessee wins the game. Tennessee knows there's an opportunity here to, to pad its playoff chances, per se, I guess is the right way to say it. it looked, Jacksonville's tied with them at 4-3. and three. Houston behind them at 3-4. and Got to keep winning. I think Tennessee gets it done. They need to get right a little bit off of a bye week. And coming back at home against the Ravens team that's very banged up and, frankly, that is feeble offensively. Yeah, I mean, geez, how, how Seattle let Alex Collins walk? I mean, he's not a big name, but for a team that really needs running back help right now, I think they would like to take that one back. But he's not going to help them beat Tennessee unless Tennessee has another game like they did the first week against the Raiders where they know the game plan, they know they need to run the ball, they know they're playing against a team that they can beat, they identify the weaknesses. I mean, we identify the weaknesses, and we're not on the coaching staff. And then they do the complete opposite of what they're supposed to do. So I think Tennessee's in a point of the season where they're if they stay out of their own way, because right now they're, they're in control of the AFC South, if they can win the games they're supposed to win and just don't make stupid mistakes, they're going to get in. And they don't have to worry about battling for a wild card spot. You know, Houston's good, but they've got Bill O'Brien. That's a big problem. Jacksonville's all right, but they've got a Blake Bortles problem. The Colts are barely a football team right now. If Tennessee just plays the way that they're supposed to play, they're going to be fine. And I think if we see that on Sunday, it's going to make me feel more comfortable moving forward with the Titans and with Malarkey as the coach, feeling confident that they're going to be able to pull out games that they're supposed to. But if they have a tough game against Baltimore, I don't know how I feel about them. And then we're going to go and we're going to have to start asking questions like we are about Dirk Cutter and Ben McAdoo about Mike Malarkey. But I don't want to get ahead of myself on that because, you know, he's got his game against Baltimore on Sunday and I'm taking Tennessee to win. I'll tell you. The AFC South, year in and year out. Mm. Winning that division is being like the skinniest kid at fat camp. <laughs> okay? It just, it is. I mean, and that's not to say these teams aren't talented. Jacksonville's a really good defense. Tennessee has some, some players. And, and Houston, look, I mean, you can't overlook some of the individual talents on that team. But it's just, every year you look at it and just say, it's basically who's going to be the four seed and then who's going to get annihilated in the playoffs. But hey, listen, you know, maybe Tennessee can put it together. I do think that team, it, has the roster to make something happen, but Mariota's got to play better. Staying in the AFC South, Jacksonville playing host to Cincinnati. Jacksonville, four-point favorite in the game. So Vegas is basically saying those teams are almost even. And I think, again, we just talked about that. That's the Blake Bortles effect. Like, mm-hmm. You don't know what you're going to get out of them. So this is an interesting game for me. If Cincinnati had played well and beat Indianapolis on Sunday, I'd probably go with the Bengals in this game. Because I think the Bengals are really talented. But, and I'm going to go off slightly off track here, we talked about this as we watched this game in the office. The Cincinnati-Indianapolis game. You couldn't find worse coaching in that, in that nope. game. That game was a clinic on how a football team should never be coached. Marvin Lewis, never changing expression. 
seemingly ready to be fired a decade ago. Chuck Pagano ready to be fired years ago. Neither one being canned because of ineptness by the franchise. Okay? That game was like watching a car accident for three and a half hours. <laughs> and somehow Cincinnati emerged out of their car first and won the game. I'm going to take Jacksonville to win this game because I think Andy Dalton might throw for 100 yards at best against Jacksonville's defense. Jacksonville's defense is really good. Mm-hmm. The Bengals, I just... Like, from a talent perspective, like they should be a playoff team, but they're just never quite right. Even in years they've made the playoffs, like they should have been a Super Bowl contender or at least close to it. Never the case. So I'm going to take Jacksonville home in this game. Jacksonville's also coming off a bye. I just can't buy the Bengals. I just I cannot do it. Even when they win, they look hideous. I just The only time they've won convincingly this year is when they beat Cleveland. And by the way, uh, breaking news... Uh, there was a quote from Hugh Jackson during his Monday presser that said, quote, according to ESPN, quote, everything has to be perfect for us to win a game this season, end quote. <laughs> Way to get it done, Hugh. Way to get it done. Awesome. Way to inspire that confidence. So, give me Jacksonville minus four. I, th- I actually think the Bengals will cover, but I'm taking Jacksonville in the game. Yeah, I, just kind of exactly like, you know, the Bills, we're going to find out over these next couple of weeks just what – the Bengals are made of because they've got Jacksonville, they've got Tennessee, they've got Denver, then they've got Cleveland. They could very much turn their season around if they play the way they're supposed to. But like you said, they never play the way that they're supposed to. And I'm infinitely afraid that that's the, the, the purgatory that the Bucks are going to get stuck in where they're just always constantly underplaying how good the roster is. And that's been a habitual problem for Marvin Lewis in Cincinnati. And he's like the guy in office space that they just, they fired, but they never let him know he was fired. And they just kept him on the payroll. And then they move him down to the basement. That's Marvin Lewis. He's just been around forever. And it's like, yeah, he's been on the hot seat, but it hasn't really meant anything. There's been years where the Bengals could have walked away from him and they haven't. They've extended him. So I think Cincinnati made their bed and they're going to have to sleep in it with Marvin Lewis. Now, I mean, he could turn the season around. Well, that's, that's, not, just, that's not a bed you want to climb into. I'll tell you right now. Right. And and that, those boys have been climbing that bed for 15 years. It's still waiting <laughs> for the playoff win. Right. And, but this is, the, this is the problem with Cincinnati is here they are. The season looks like it might be lost. Marvin Lewis is, could be possibly a lame duck head coach. But we're looking at the schedule, and we're like, hey, they could turn it around. They might be able to fix this. And that's, that's been why he's been there for so long, and that's why the Bengals have never been able to turn things around. If, if you are a Bengals fan, the worst-case scenario for this team is they go like 8-8, eight and eight, they get to 6 seed on some tiebreaker with Buffalo, <laughs> they get in the playoffs, they play New England in the first round or Kansas City, and just get – actually, or Pittsburgh, because that would be the worst nightmare for Cincinnati – and get absolutely blown off the face of the earth, and then Mike Brown gives Marvin Lewis a five-year extension. So you should almost, at this point, be actively rooting for defeats. Um, speaking of a team that might soon be actively rooting for defeats, Denver at Philadelphia. Philadelphia, a seven-point favorite in this game. Mm-hmm. Franklin's surprise not more than that. Um, although I guess it's consistent because Kansas City's at home on Monday night against Denver, also a touchdown favorite. So take that for what it's worth. We don't know, of course, yet what Denver's going to do in Kansas City. If they win the game, then all of a sudden their season looks a little bit differently. Um, but if things go the way most people are expecting and Denver loses, they're in trouble. Uh, Philadelphia right now is the best team in football, sitting at 7-1. and one. Just beat up on San Francisco. Uh, Carson Wentz is an MVP candidate. The defense is tremendous. They do lose Jordan Hicks for the year a couple weeks back. That hurts. But I don't think it matters. Denver may not score a point in that game. Philadelphia has a very good front seven. They bring a lot of pressure. They bring a lot of different looks. Simeon is the worst quarterback in the league 
under pressure. I, I, I do not see a path for Denver to win that game. I don't see a path for Denver to cover that game. I think Denver's defense is very good. Uh, but much like in in Monday night's game here against Kansas City, I and hopefully I don't look like a dope for saying this, but I, I just don't I don't think unless unless you turn the ball over and give Denver short fields or defensive touchdowns or, or special teams touchdowns, I don't see how Denver scores enough to beat anybody. They haven't scored 17 points since week two. So I just can't unless you actively participate in beating yourself against them, if you're a halfway decent team, I think Denver struggles because they just can't score. And so give me... And by the way, Paxton Lynch might start that game in Philadelphia. If Trevor Simeon is terrible in Kansas City, Paxton Lynch is healthy now, don't be surprised. But give me Philadelphia, not only to win, but to cover the touchdown. I've got Philadelphia to win. And the only thing that I can say about Denver is something that we talked about when we were watching the games on Sunday is... And this is an outside-the-box thing, as you admit, and I agree with you, but I think it's a realistic possibility moving forward. If Denver loses against Kansas City, and then they lose to Philadelphia, and then they very quite possibly lose to New England, okay? That's a lot of losses in a row. It's not great. Vance Joseph, I don't know what to do with him. Like you said it, John Elway and that franchise, it's a winning way. They like to win. They do not like to lose, and they do not like to be stuck in a rut. Right now, they're in a rut because of John Elway, but maybe that's a different conversation to have. I feel like Vance Joseph could very easily be one of these one-and-done head coaches. My money's on Anthony Lynn, but you said that, and I agree with you, if the Broncos continue to struggle, and if they can't find a quarterback, and if this defense continues to quit because, I mean, they're all making business decisions at this point because they know no lead is safe, I agree with you, and I think that Vance Joseph could be a dark horse candidate to be a guy who is out at the end of the year and Denver just tries to restart that. And I think... This Philadelphia game could be where the rest of the you know the rest of the league catches up to this and goes ah oh, maybe not you know I don't think this is the guy to do the job. So I, I'll be honest I don't think Joseph should be fired but I think that it's possible if mm-hmm. they continuously just go in the tank here and finish year five and eleven or something. Denver's not used to losing. Denver has had three losing seasons and I believe it's thirty one years. The Broncos don't lose a lot of games. Mm-mm. The Broncos are always in contention at least for a division title. And by the way, it should be said, and of course, most people are going to listen to this after Monday, so take it for what it's worth, but if Kansas City beats Denver tonight, that division is over. Yeah. That division's over, and we haven't even hit November yet, and everybody going into the year thought it'd be the How do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. Tough division of football. It looked like it was the first couple weeks of the year. Denver was 2-0. Chiefs were 2-0. Raiders were 2-0. Everybody thought the Chargers would be better. Here we are. The Raiders and the Chargers both 3-5. The Chiefs would be 6-2 if they win. Denver would be 3-4. Mm. Good night. That's all. I mean, Kansas City win nine games win the division. So, uh, moving on, though. AFC South matchup. Indianapolis at Houston. Biggest spread of the week. Houston's favored by 13 points. How many times do you see a 3-14 and 14 favored by 13 points ever? I think it's way too high of a spread. I do think Houston's going to win the game. Uh, Chuck Pagano, at what point here? Ooh. Is it at the bye? Is it after the year? I, what is it going to take? They are awful. The Colts are so bad watching them. It's in, they should have beaten Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati did everything they could to lose that game. And yet you've got Indianapolis now sitting at 2-6. They're the worst team in football other than Cleveland and the Niners, which, by the way, are the only two teams they've beaten, okay? The Colts are rancid, and it's an overtime to beat the 49ers. 
Uh, I think Houston wins. I think the Colts will barely cover it. Maybe they'll lose by 10 or something. Uh, but Houston's going to win this game. They have to win. If they lose this game, their season's over. Uh, so give me Houston. I think Watson throws all over them. And by the way, the trade deadline's on Tuesday. There's rumors flying around. Devontae Davis could be moved. T.Y. Hilton could be moved. I don't think Hilton's going anywhere. The contract's too big. But, you know, who knows what Indianapolis is going to look like. There's also a rumor that Dwayne Brown, the left tackle for Houston, is going to be moved after he held out for the first half of the year. So a lot of stuff going around those two teams. Of course, all the comments with Bob McNair. Uh, but give me Houston. I think Indy covers, but Houston will get the four. I've got Houston to win this too, and I think it's going to be another week where everybody's getting handouts to jump on the Deshaun Watson train because that he's the real deal. And it, this is going to be one of those things, and I know this is just his rookie year, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself as far as writing his legacy, but I feel like he's one of those guys. Like You've got a select group of quarterbacks throughout NFL history, both legends and middle-of-the-pack good players who were better than the ones that were taken around them. Deshaun Watson is a guy who we're going to look at in 10 years, 5 years, and say, man, I can't believe Mitchell Trubisky was the second pick in that draft. Man, I can't believe that the Browns didn't take this guy first overall. Like... We can't talk about the Browns. I'll have an aneurysm right here on the podcast. I don't even care about the Browns, and I'll have an aneurysm. Yeah, I mean, people are already saying it, like, about Cleveland and whatever, and, you know, Kansas City, we don't know what they're getting out of Patrick Mahomes, but, you know, Deshaun Watson is so much better than advertised, and I made the argument that he is everything that Dak Prescott was last year, except so much better. Because every time Dak Prescott had a really good, like he had a really good stretch there until he ran into the Giants later in the year and completely fell off. Every time that Dak Prescott had a good game, we were like, yeah, but when's it going to stop? Yeah, maybe this is a one-year wonder. Oh man, how is he doing this? Every time Deshaun Watson goes out and has a good game, I'm sitting there watching him going, wow, this is a natural progression of a quarterback who is going to be really, really good in the league because he goes up into New England and say what you will about New England's defense. Rookie quarterback going up against Bill Belichick and Tom Brady on the road almost wins. Goes into Seattle and runs all over the Legion of Boom. Richard Sherman after the game is saying he's a top five quarterback right now or he's on his way to being a top five quarterback. That's that's a lot of respect. Like Richard Sherman's a big talker. He's not going to give you respect if he doesn't think you earned it. And he went up there. Deshaun Watson went up there and they almost again not to harp on Bill O'Brien. We already talked about him and I can he's like the Browns with me. I can only talk about him so much. (laughs) You know, if it's not for Bill O'Brien, this is a really good team. And Deshaun Watson in a very short amount of time, is starting to prove himself to not be the flag bearer of this next generation of good quarterbacks like Carson Wentz and Jared Goff and whoever. But he's definitely in the conversation now after only six starts. And that's, that's incredible to me. And I think he's going to have another good week against Indianapolis. They're going to win the game. I don't have anything else to say about Indianapolis. Because I said it last week. I only say that they stink so many different times that they need to move on. Jim Mercer, as long as he's running that team, prayers up for Indianapolis. But I've got Houston winning this game. Listen, I, you know, and I, I just want to add on real quickly because you mentioned it. You know, there's this idea in sports, not just the NFL, all sports, especially basketball, football, that acquiring a bunch of draft picks is going to suddenly make you this really good team and you're really smart for doing it. Acquiring draft picks are only good if you draft good players. Otherwise, it's a gigantic waste of time and resources and, frankly, roster spots. Okay. If you follow the NBA, the Philadelphia 76ers have been amassing draft picks for the better part of a decade. And? Are they any good? No, they're not. Okay? The Cleveland Browns have been amassing draft picks forever. Forever. 
and they literally can't take one player worth anything. I mean, you want to talk about Justin Gilbert, Johnny Manziel, Brandon Whedon, Trent Richardson, Cam Irving. I think I already oh, said him. That Danny Shelton, <laughs> who's been okay, but I mean, who cares? He's not. He's not worthy of a first round pick. They are awful, awful. Mm. And the fact that that team had the first and the twelfth overall picks. By the way, a year after they had the second overall pick and said, "Yeah, Carson Wentz, we don't need him." Okay. The year, the next year after passing on Wentz, they're the first and the twelfth picks. They could have taken anybody, and okay, they took Miles Garrett. I'm not going to kill him on that. That's fine. Okay, Miles Garrett's very good, and he's a promising young player. They could have then, with their bevy of picks, traded back up. They could have gotten Mahomes. Kansas City makes an aggressive move. Kansas City jumps him, gets Mahomes. We have not seen Mahomes for one pass in regular season game. Being a Chiefs fan, I watched every snap. Watching Patrick Mahomes was borderline erotic in the regular se- in the in the preseason. There were throws that he made, and, and I, I get it, it's a preseason. He was unbelievable. I mean, it, to the point that there was real talk that they should bench Alex Smith, who looks like an MVP candidate right now. Mm-hmm. Then you could say, well, they didn't want to trade up. Okay, fine. So they could have taken Deshaun Watson at twelve. They trade out of the pick and look at Deshaun Watson. And for all these people who say, well, you know what? There's no weapons in Cleveland. How would he look? Well, then what are you going to do? Just never draft a quarterback? How did Houston's offense look before, before Deshaun Watson got there? It's ridiculous. At some point, make a move. The Browns never do it. And that's why you got Hugh Jackson out here saying, that, hey, you know, we're lucky to win a game this year. Congrats, Hugh. If, if I was Jimmy Haslam, first of all, I'd be ashamed. Second of all, I would have fired him the second he walked off the podium after that statement. My favorite part about that is how Hugh Jackson has come out in these last couple of weeks and been like, yeah, you know, the Haslams, they've got my back. And it's Hugh Jackson secondhand telling us that the Haslams have it. It never comes from the Haslams or ownership saying, yeah, we endorse Hugh Jackson. It's, it's like it's like some kind of like White House spin that they're going on here. Where it's like, he's like, yeah, no, my job's safe. It's fine. It's, it's whatever. Yeah, the Browns. We should get this. We should get that segment sponsored. The Bra- every week it's the Browns. It's like my God, but like Roto Rooter or something. Okay, <laughs> so we'll move on. Rams at the Giants. Rams save a three and a half coming off of a bye week. So are the Giants, so both teams well rested. Uh, give me the Rams. I look. The Giants are terrible. The Giants don't have any weapons. Beckham's out for the year. Marshall's done for the year. The offensive line's awful. They can't run the ball. Defensively, the, the Giants have some players. So I can see the game being close. Um, but I think the Rams go in there and take care of business. The Rams are good. The Rams are legitimately a good team. Do I think they're a Super Bowl team? No, I don't. I think they got a ways to go before they get to that level. But I think the Rams absolutely can win 10 games this year. And that's going to make the playoffs, in my opinion. Uh, I love what Jared Goff is doing. He's night and day from what we saw last year. Which, by the way, you, you, know, you want to talk about how coaching makes a difference? Okay, look at Jeff Fisher and look at Sean McVay. That's how coaching makes a difference. He's thrown for over 1,700 yards already this year, nine touchdowns to four picks. He's only been sacked 10 times. Todd Gurley has 627 rushing yards, five touchdowns after looking bad a year ago. Robert Woods, who I made fun of as being a big-time acquisition. Look, he's not been great. He's got 381 receiving yards to lead the team. He's been good. Cooper Cup's been terrific, 316 yards and three touchdowns as a rookie. So give me the Rams over a Giants team that's just decimated. Yeah, I've got the Rams winning this one too. And I've said it in weeks before, I'm going to keep saying it, that the Rams are one of my favorite teams in the NFL just because of the way that they're polar opposite of what they were the year before. And Sean McVay, he's the coach of the year. I think the only competition that he has for coach of the year at this point might be Sean McDermott in, in Buffalo. Yeah. 
because he's he, what he's done is similar. I, I mentioned on Sunday in my piece about the Bills that the Bills are kind of Hollywood East. You know, they they are what the Rams are in the AFC, where they they're way ahead of schedule. They're playing. They're how often do you see it? And not so much with the Rams. This is more the Bills, but they're both kind of in the same realm where they are teams playing with house money in winning seasons. If the Rams didn't put together a good year this year, nobody's going to kill them. Nobody's going to be like, oh man, the sky's falling. You can see the progression. Same thing with Buffalo. And I think what impresses me most about Los Angeles is that there hasn't been a game yet this year. And this goes back to the Dallas game, which I think is where they, that was kind of their coming out party against a good team. There hasn't been a game this year where I've been like, oh, I don't think the Rams are going to win this game. And that's the mark of a good team. And I did not expect that to happen in year one of Sean McVay and year two of, or year maybe 1.5 of Jared Goff because I don't really count right. a lot of last year. So I, I, I'm, I'm very impressed with the Rams. And this is a weird dichotomy of the Rams are ascending and they're a really good young team. And then you've got Eli Manning and the Giants on just an aggressive downslide. That's the end of an era. Yeah. That is, I don't know what's going to happen with Eli at the end of the season. Do they cut him loose? Do they try to trade him? Do they want to bring in a young quarterback to have him mentor I don't know what's going on. I think McAdoo's gone at the end of the year. I think you just tear that down and you rebuild. Like you said, the defense, they're, they're, they're a very decent defensive team. And when Odell Beckham's out there, they're, they're a good offense. But they are so one-dimensional on offense that we're seeing that now because Odell is out. They need more pieces there. And I think that they've got a good tight end there. They've got a nice young tight end. They can bring in some pieces. It was a failed experiment with Brandon Marshall. Maybe Sterling Shepard needs to drink some more calcium and his bones won't break and he can stay on the field longer. But I think New York, it's just down. We talked and we mentioned it in weeks before about how the Cardinals' window is closed, and that's a little depressing because they were a fun team to watch. The Giants' window seemed to like open on accident a couple of times, and they happened to win a Super Bowl. So I'm taking the Rams and, you know, time to close the casket on the Ben McAdoo era. Yeah, I, I, I would agree on all counts. Uh, I think Manning's there one more year and then he's gone. So that's my, my official take on that. Um, okay, Tampa Bay, New Orleans. New Orleans uh, leading the NFC South. Winners of five in a row. The defense has actually played really well, giving up only 16 points per game over its last five. Uh, of course, we talked at the top about the Buccaneers. Saints are favored by a touchdown in this game. It's at the Superdome. Uh, I'll be succinct. I think the Saints, frankly, are just better right now. I think the Saints have a very good offense. Uh, I think the defense is, is shown that it, it's at least capable. Marshawn Lattimore has been terrific. Um, I thought he was a steal in the first round along with O.J. Howard. And while Howard has been, you know, okay, he hasn't gotten enough playing time. And, and Lattimore has been awesome. So uh, give me the Saints. I think the Buccaneers cover. But I think that the Saints win the game and, and probably have a six-game win streak and get to 6-2. and two. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to take the Buccaneers just because I feel, like, obligated. Like, I'm in a marriage I can't get out of. And we're just like, well, I guess we have to go get dinner tonight. So that's where I'm at with the Buccaneers. And I think that if they lose this game, basically everything— I, I, I said my piece at the beginning of the show. But if they lose this game, it's, it's, it's go time to put Dirk Cutter on the hot seat and start asking serious questions about how this team can become what it's supposed to be. I, I, I can't talk about the Buccaneers anymore. I, the, the Saints, on the other hand— I think that they're going to win this game. And then you look at the, the, match, the next matchup they have against Buffalo, which is an interesting matchup because then we're going to continue to find out if this Saints team really has what it takes. And I feel like this Drew Brees, Sean Payton era is 
closer to being over than anything else. I think maybe it, I thought it was over. And here they are, like, you know, all of these actors who are coming, like, like Matthew McConaughey and some of these actors who you're like, oh, yeah, their career's done. They had their heyday. They've, they've peaked. And now they're done. And then they come back and he does True Detective and wins an Oscar. I think that this is one last unexpected push by the Drew Brees and Sean Payton era to do something before the window closes. I'm not saying it's going to end in a Super Bowl, but everything that they've done this year outside of those first couple of games, it is, you want to talk about a team that has gotten better over the course of a year. That is New Orleans. The defense stinks the first couple of weeks. It's not the best unit in the league, but it's gotten better. The offense is starting to click more. I mean, maybe that had something to do with getting rid of Adrian Peterson and paring it down to uh, Ingram and Kamara, who I think is one of the best young running backs in the league. I just think that New Orleans, this is one last push. And, you know, we just talked about New York being on the downside of their, their era and the Cardinals era being over. Enjoy this. As football fans, enjoy this because this might be the last time that we see the Saints being as special as they are and reminding us of as special as they were. So I've got New Orleans winning the game, but that's against my better judgment as a Bucks fan. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take the Saints. I think they, they find a way to win the game. Uh, so that is it for the one o'clock games. The four o'clock games got three of them here. Uh, and the first one, let's just let's just get through. Uh, Arizona at San Fran. Arizona's favored by two and a half points. Drew Stanton's going to start that game. There's nothing to really say here. Both teams are going nowhere. The 49ers are looking for the first win. Uh, I'm going to pick the 49ers for this game. The Cardinals, I think, are just done. I think they're totally and utterly shot. Yes, the Cardinals coming off their bye week. They got blown out 33-0 by the Rams in London two weeks ago. No Palmer, no David Johnson. The, the 49ers are not going on 16. Uh, I'm going to take the Niners outright to win this game. I'm going to take the Niners to win too. Uh, they had a bad game against Philadelphia. I was all, I've been waiting to do my the 49ers the best winless team I've ever seen post because they, there's games that they should have won. You want how do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. Talk about teams that are better than the record. You know, there's games that San Francisco should have won. Now, they're winless for a reason because they didn't win those games. They can't beat Indianapolis and, and teams like that. But to your point about Arizona... It's the Drew Stanton show, and that's not a show anybody wants to watch. And I don't, you know, it, it's unfortunate that this is the way that the Bruce Arians era is going to end in Arizona because he was a really good head coach, and they had some really good teams, and they had a lot of opportunities to make Super Bowl runs, and they were entertaining. And now it's just kind of as high as that peak was. Now his exit is going to be just kind of like this lame little duck fart. That's like it, it, it's it's unfortunate. Um, but I've got, I've got San Francisco winning this game, and I feel bad for Cardinals fans. You're going to have to watch this the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's Cardinals, but let's face it, they're not going anywhere. Uh, it's, it's tough. It's tough. I think the Cardinals are going to be going under a serious rebuild after this season. So staying in the NFC and partially in the NFC West, Seattle at home again hosting the Redskins. The Redskins are a touchdown underdog in the game coming off of a very tough loss against Dallas. Uh, it was a hard-fought game early on. The Cowboys pulled away in the second half. The Redskins are talented, but they're very injured right now. The offensive line's in shambles. The wide receivers, if you want to talk about a group, really not only in Washington, just in general, that's been so underwhelming this year. The Redskins receivers are brutal. Now, Kirk Cousins has thrown for 1,900 yards. 
13 touchdowns. Okay, you tell it's pretty good. You know, it's not bad. 4,000 yard season. They're not pace for it. Their leading receiver this year is Chris Thompson, their running back. It was 442 yards. Their second leading receiver is Vernon Davis, who I, I honestly guy think he's 50 years old, and he's still good. 312 yards, a touchdown. Jamison Crowder is their number one receiver with 272 yards. And you know what? For once, I'm going to give the Browns credit. Everybody said, what are they doing getting rid of Terrell Pryor? How could they do that? Terrell Pryor has 223 yards this season. He has been awful, okay? And Josh Doxson, who Twitter seems to love for some reason, has eight catches for 130 yards. So I think the Redskins are really talented, but part of their team is not playing up to snuff. I think a lot of it is also, you know, you got to wonder injury-wise, what do we have going on here with this team? Can they survive? I don't think they're going to let Seattle win. I don't think they can do it healthy. I certainly don't think they're going to do it uh, banged up. I do think, though, that they'll have a backdoor cover here because Seattle has problems. Seattle, mm-hmm. I, give them credit. They won a great game against Houston last week. It was, it was phenomenal to watch. Seattle can't block. They can't run the ball for a yard. I think in that game they had like 30 rushing yards. They were hideous. Uh, I think Seattle wins, but it's going to be ugly, uh, and I think it also pretty much puts an end to Washington. Seattle knows that it's a two-horse race in the NFC West, and they have the one win over Los Angeles so far, and they can go for the clean sweep tiebreaker later in the year. But they need to keep winning games if they want to hold off Los Angeles, who's coming hot, and they're going to be there and in contention right up to the end to win the division. And it's games like this that you just have to have. So I'm taking Seattle to win the game. I agree with you. they got a lot of problems on offense, and it speaks that you know the, the Texans' defense is bad. And... Seattle should have won that game a little more easily than they did. And I, I, I love Deshaun Watson, and I'm completely on in his camp and in his corner, but he's not Michael Jordan, okay? You can't be the Legion of Boom and let Deshaun Watson come up and run all over your off or your defense. That, that just can't happen. Uh, I'm taking Seattle. To me, Washington's season so far has been more or less an endorsement of Kirk Cousins. Everybody said, oh, man, you should have taken the money. You should have just, you know, Daniel Snyder was giving you this check. You're not, gonna, you're not worth it. You're not going to get a bigger deal somewhere else. Don't bet on yourself. You're not really that great of a quarterback. And like you said, he's going to have maybe a 4,000-yard season throwing to a tackling dummy. Like, if anything, the, the Redskins season, is, it's not gone well. And the offense, it's basically a JV team. But somehow Kirk Cousins is making it work. Now, he's not Aaron Rodgers, but he's making it work a lot better than a lot of people thought. So if anything, if you're a Redskins fan— Take that for what it is, or at least enjoy it while it lasts before he walks and goes to San Francisco or somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Cousins has been terrific this year. I think he's underrated. I don't think he's great, but I think he's very mm-hmm. good. And in the NFL, I'll tell you right now, he is going to be the highest paid player in NFL history. He has a free agent mark, and I'm pretty sure he's going to. So we get to the one 425 game. The other games are 405. 425 game, I think, frankly, is the best game of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kansas City at Dallas, depending upon where you look, it's either a pick em or Dallas is favored by a point. I, Kansas City wins on Monday night. My guess would be that it swings a little bit. Um, Dallas is a weird team to figure. They're four and three. They've been tremendous offensively in recent weeks uh, against Washington. The team scored 33 points, but really had uh, an interception return for a touchdown, and then had a field goal block that was basically returned for a touchdown to the two yard line. Um, Prescott has been okay. He's been fine, uh, you know, but he's not. He's not lighting the world on fire. He's on pace for around 3,400 yards or so, 3,500 yards. Uh, has 14 touchdowns. Only been sacked nine times. We know how good that offensive line is. And Ezekiel Elliott, 690 rushing yards and six touchdowns at this point. He's been great. Uh, 
a little bit of a of the storyline here continues to emerge is Des Bryant has not been the same player since he was hurt last year. Uh, he is not in a hundred yard game in almost a full season. So there is concern there. He him going up against Marcus Peters is going to be somebody's going to get ejected by halftime. Uh, but th- that'll be phenomenal to watch. Now the Cowboys, it should be said, everybody talks about their defense as being a, as a, a struggling unit, and it is at times. Their defense has major issues in the secondary. But up front, Dallas can get to the quarterback now. David Irving has played in three games. He has five sacks. Demarcus Lawrence has ten and a half sacks. I believe he's leading the league right now. So you've got to factor all that in. Look, they're going against an offensive line. The Chiefs who do give up some sacks, although it is getting healthier. Um, I'll be honest. I don't know which way I'm leaning on this game. I, I have I have a sneaking suspicion in this game that, first of all, I think Elliott's going to play. I know there's mm-hmm. talk about whether Willie will. I think he'll play. I think Elliott's going to run for a lot of yardage. But I, I think the Chiefs are going to score a bunch of points. The Chiefs make very good offense. Hill, Kelsey, I think are going to tear up that secondary. Smith is very accurate. He gets rid of the ball fairly quickly. Hunt, obviously, we know what he can do in the running game, leading the league in rushing yardage uh, going into this week. I think the Chiefs will win this game. I think it will be a very good game. I think it will right down to the wire. And I think the difference will be, I think the Chiefs, shockingly enough, after all these years of being so conservative, are going to make the big plays to win the game. Uh, and I could also see Tyree Kill in the return game making the difference. But I'll be honest, I think it's a coin flip. I'm just kind of going with my gut that I think the Chiefs, I think they'll beat Denver on, the, on this Monday night. And I think they get they will get right and go into Dallas and find a way to win that game uh, in, in what should be very, very entertaining. Oh, yeah, this is going to be the game of the week for me. And I'm, I'm leaning towards Kansas City as well. I like Dallas. Their defense kind of freaks me out a little bit. I don't know. I know they can get to the quarterback, but I'm just unsure of how well that they can sustain whatever kind of offensive attack that, which surprises me to say about Kansas City, whatever kind of offensive attack Kansas City has. Because like you said, they've got Hill. They've got Kelsey. They've got, you know, Kareem Hunt. Alex Smith knows what he's doing. He's going to manage that game. And now all of a sudden he can throw for 8 billion yards in a game. So... This is a different Chiefs team. Um, part of me wants to say that this is where they peak this season and then they kind of ride out the rest of the year because at this point, I'm assuming they're going to beat Denver on Monday night. They go into this game knowing that the AFC West is essentially locked up. If they beat Dallas, that's pretty much going to be the end of the division no matter what happens. And then at that point, it's trying to keep pace with New England, keep pace with Pittsburgh, and see how that all stacks up. This is a game that if New England or if uh, Kansas City wants to catch New England and they want to get over that hump and make sure that that tiebreaker against Pittsburgh doesn't come back to haunt them, this is a game that they have to have. So Agreed. part Agreed. of me wants to say, yeah, it's a toss-up game because Dallas is is in the conversation for being a very, very good football team like Kansas City is, I think that the Chiefs are the better team and they need to prove that they're the better team, especially after having a loss to a Raiders team, which is garbage, and you know losing to Pittsburgh, which hurt their playoff chances. They need this game, and I think that that's going to be the thing that takes them over the edge. And this is going to be, instead of them coasting into the postseason, this is going to be the game where they put it all together and they start really marching towards whatever kind of potential Super Bowl run that they can go on. And, and one thing I'll wrap up with this. Steven Nelson was activated Monday afternoon off the uh, off injured reserve. He had a core injury. He missed the first seven games of their season. I can't express to anybody who doesn't watch the Chiefs regularly how much of an improvement he is over Philip Gaines. Mm. Like, I can't... Most people are going to say, Steven Nelson? Who's Steven Nelson? Like, 
I'm not saying he's Marcus Peters. I'm not saying he's Richard Sherman. He's not. But he's a very good, solid corner. And he plays on the outside in their base. He plays a nickel in their, in their nickel spots. They, they move Terrence Mitchell outside, who's fine as a number two corner. Philip Gaines has been a disaster. An absolute disaster. To the point that, frankly, if I had to pin one reason why they lost to the Raiders, there's a lot to pick from, but he's right up there. If he's not number one, he's in the top three. Nelson coming back is a big deal. And so I think you're going to see the Chiefs play a lot better defense with him in there. I'm not saying he fixes everything, but he makes them a lot better. He makes them tougher to throw against. And I think you're going to see a lot of these big plays start to go away. So I'll take the Chiefs in what I think is a toss-up game. And Tony Romo making his return to Dallas in that game. He'll have the call with Jim Nance. Quickly, we'll get to the Sunday and Monday night games. I don't think either one really moves the needle all that much. Sunday night games, Oakland at Miami. Oakland is favored on the road by two and a half over a Dolphins team. Just got shut out. We have no idea who the quarterback's going to be, if it's Matt Moore or if it's Jay Cutler. Uh, frankly, this game just does nothing for me. I'm going to take the Raiders. I, I just think the Dolphins are terrible. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it matters. I don't think either team's making the playoffs. Um, the Raiders were all this hype going into the year. We talked so much about it before the year started. I really thought they were going to be like an 8-8 team. I just did not believe in the defense. I think Carr's overrated to an extent. I think he's good, but he's not great. That's what we've seen to this point. Uh, talk about, by the way, coaches who I don't know if they can get you over the hump. Jack Del Rio, like, yeah. he's never won a division. Jack Del Rio's been a coach for a decade. He's never won a division. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, I think the Raiders win this game, but I think it's ugly, and I don't think it's an indication that they're going to make some kind of a run here in the second half of the year. Yeah, I've got, I've got the Raiders too, only because, you know, I, I, I strongly feel that the Dolphins are not a good football team, and we saw that on Thursday night. So, I mean, the only reason that I'm happy that the Dolphins came up is because it allows me to point out, tie a bow around your playoff conversation about the NFC being so much better. The first three teams out of the AFC picture, which would be the first three teams in if something happened with that last wild card spot, Miami, Baltimore, Denver. As you like to say, good night to that because that is not a good situation. If Oakland loses this game, I don't know what, I, maybe the, the ghost of Al Davis is going to find a way to tear up Jack Del Rio's contract and get him out of town. Could you imagine if Al Davis was still alive and he was watching Jack Del Rio coach this team? He's fired coaches for less than this. So I think, uh, didn't he, like, he didn't extend Bill Callahan after they lost the Super Bowl or something like that because he was just so upset. Well, what happened to the Raiders' way? Come on. So uh, I've, got, I've got Oakland winning this game, but it's more of a uh, default than anything else. Yeah, I'm with you. And then we'll wrap up here with the Monday night game. Uh, Detroit going to Lambeau to play the Packers. This would have been interesting if the, if the Lions were on a three-game losing streak uh, and if the Packers didn't have Brett Hundley under, quarter, under center. Uh, listen, it's a pick em, uh I think Detroit's going to win. I just think the Packers are finally terrible. I think that roster's so propped up by Aaron Rodgers, and without him, I, just, I don't see them beating anybody who's even remotely decent. It should be said that the Lions, they have not won a division title since 1993. They've won one playoff game since 1957. Okay? You're in a division right now. Yeah, the Vikings are good. Sure, fair enough. But you beat the Vikings in Minnesota, and you had an opportunity because with Rodgers out, the Packers are not winning that division. You had an opportunity to make a run and do something. And they've gone out. They lost to the Panthers at home, so you never should have lost to the Panthers. They, they went out, and they lost on Sunday night to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, I think, is a better team than Detroit. Pittsburgh was not good in that game. Pittsburgh turned the ball over. Roethlisberger increasingly to me looks like he's got some major issues going forward. He can't throw the ball. He cannot drive the football. Now, it reminds me so much of Peyton Manning, not his last year, 
but the end of his penultimate year when he was overthrowing receivers deep down the field consistently. And everybody said, well, it's not his arm because he's overthrowing guys. Yeah, he was overthrowing guys because he has no arm and he's got to put everything into it. It's, it's affecting his accuracy. And if you watch the Steelers, that has happened over and over and over with Roethlisberger, a guy who always hit on deep balls, can't do it anymore. Yep. Okay, but getting back to Detroit, Detroit had every opportunity to win the game. And again, we've talked a lot about coaches in this podcast. I'm trying to get the scores. I think it was, God, I want to get this right. It was, okay, it was 13 to 12. Pittsburgh was beating Detroit midway through the third quarter. Detroit had fourth and goal in the one. I know a lot of people say, you never kick a field goal right there. Listen, when you're the Lions and you can't run for an inch in any game, okay? Yeah, you kicked the field goal there. I know Stafford's the highest paid guy in the NFL. That's all fine and good. It is very hard to throw the ball in a confined space like that. It is not easy. You have 11 defenders within 10 yards of each other. And on top of that, to make it even harder, Pittsburgh runs a lot of complex schemes. Mm -hmm. They're a very fast defense. They're going to close holes quickly. If you're Detroit in that game, your defense is playing well. Kick the field goal. But of course, Detroit doesn't do that. Detroit opts to go for a touchdown. He gets sacked. And the game goes on. And then three plays later, Juju Schmidt-Schuster has a 97-yard touchdown catch. And that's the end of the game. Uh, I think Detroit is a dead team walking, which is too bad. Because a lot like your Buccaneers. I think the Lions have talent. Yeah. But their coaching is, is very... Progressive presents Forced Metaphors. About bundling your home auto and other vehicles. In hockey, it's the goalie's job to protect the net. And in life, your net is your home and auto, but also your boat, motorcycle, RV, or ATV. And your goalie is the round-the-clock protection offered by Progressive Insurance. Well, and also the savings you get when you bundle. So in this metaphor, you have two goalies, which is okay because, you know, it's just a metaphor. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. Overwhelming. And I don't believe in Caldwell. I certainly don't believe in Jim Bob Cooter, okay, who's our <laughs> offensive coordinator. Uh, I think the Lions will beat the Packers because I just don't think Hundley can, can win. Uh, but it's, again, kind of like the Oakland game. It's not much of a ring endorsement. I just think somebody has to win the game. Yeah. I, I mean, Detroit's playing for their season in this game, which is unfortunate. And it's not a situation that I thought they were going to be in. And they should be thanking the football gods that Brett Hundley is going to be the one that stands between them extending whatever kind of playoff hope that they have and ending it because I don't think Brett Hundley's worth anything. And, you know, talking about playoff teams, the teams that are ahead of Detroit right now as far as having stronger seating or being able to jump them to get into the playoffs, Dallas, Green Bay, but that could change, and Atlanta. Between Atlanta and Dallas, I think that both of those teams are better than Detroit. I, yes. I mean, Atlanta beat yes. Detroit. Atlanta beat Detroit, but it was on that weird play with Golden Tate. Take that away. I think Atlanta's still a better team. And that's unfortunate because Detroit was, to me, at one point in the year, the best team nobody was talking about. Joke's on me. This is why nobody was talking about them. So. Fell apart. Fell apart. Okay, so real quick, since I know we're running a little long, final thought going into week nine. I mean, this is where the playoff picture is going to start taking shape. And like you said at the beginning of the show, I'm interested in seeing how things play out at the bottom of the NFC because there are a lot of good teams vying for what could really only be one spot. Right now, Carolina's in that sixth seed. I want to see what Atlanta has, what Dallas has, if Washington can turn around their season. I'm really looking at what's happening at the bottom of the NFC right now in the playoff picture. I'm looking forward to seeing what teams have pride. Uh, there's always teams that are that yeah. are out of it at the end of the year. And this is the time of year we're starting to get to that. We're starting to see some teams fall out of the race. 
which of those teams have pride, which keep playing hard, which are maybe you know able to play the role spoiler, and which teams just absolutely go in the tank. Which are the teams that over the last month of the year, if you see them on your schedule, you go, oh, oh terrific, we're going to win that game. That's what I want to see. Which teams have some guts, who still is back in their coach, who still got the right mindset, and which teams are just absolutely ready to go play golf. So, with that being said, thank you for listening to Stack in the Box. I'm Matt Verderam. He is Josh Hill. Please go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave a comment. Unless you hate it, then don't be a jerk. Don't don't comment. Um, We'll be back next Monday to talk about everything that happened in Week 9, the middle point of the NFL season. It's incredible. It flies by. It seems like it gets faster every year. But hopefully your team wins. Good luck. And we will talk to you in a week. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.